0: Well, one of my favorite movies is Indiana Jones and, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all right? Um, I'm, f- I'm kind of frustrated at my parents a little bit. Mom, dad, if you're listening to this, I feel like you scarred me a little bit because they let me watch Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was probably like four or five years old. And their, their, their rationale was like, you know what? It's a Christian movie, you know? Because if you think about it, it kind of is, all right? Um, You know, uh, Harrison Ford is trying to not not let the Nazis get the Ark of the Covenant, right? And at the end, you know, my parents thought, okay, it's violent and people's faces melt off. But you know what? The Nazis' faces are melting off. So it's good. It's wholesome. You know, like that's kind of like what my parents were thinking. And so I got to watch that movie when I was a kid and I feel like, you know, it it scarred me a little bit. I'm not going to lie um but it's still one of my favorite movies and you know what what indiana jones does he, he like sh- goes, goes to a, like a, an old temple and there's all these vines that are creeping over it and he kind of has to like take a machete and you know hack some of it down and move some of the vines so he can get to the entrance so he could see what it is and i and i honestly i feel like every time we approach christmas time we have to do the very same thing With Christmas there's like our culture has all these like vines and things that are just grow over the top of it and it's all just kind of very nice and cutesy you know and of course we should just we should appreciate all that cutesy nice stuff for sure but but also we have to do some heavy lifting of sort of hacking away and clearing some of the brush so we can really um, so we can really get impacted by Christmas because it would be a mistake if we just just let Christmas warm our hearts and not let it do what it's designed to do, and that's transform our hearts. Christmas has to do way more than just warm hearts that's not what Christmas was only designed to do. Christmas was designed to truly transform us. And so we have to kind of get down in there and just pull some things apart so that we can see really what Christmas has to offer for us. A few weeks ago, you know, this advent season has been fun. I kind of tried some different stuff. Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about if you were here, we talked about Herod and how Herod was if if you were living in the 1st century and if you had money and if you had money to put down on whether whose kingdom would survive. The kingdom of Herod that everyone knows about, the richest person at that time who was building all sorts of incredible things that many of them are still standing today? Or would you put your money on the kingdom of this no-name Jesus? And anybody living at that time would have said, would have put their money on Herod. And so it's a crazy, crazy thing that here we are 2,000 years later in a gym in Eugene, Oregon, and we don't know anything about Herod, but we are worshiping the name of Jesus. That is incredible. My money... Is going to go on jesus so we talked about that how it's such an incredible thing and then uh, and then last week we talked about this proclamation that that the the angels proclaim to the shepherds remember the angels show up to the shepherds and the angels say this they said this is from luke chapter 2 they say but the angel said to them do not be afraid for i bring good news good news that will cause great joy for all the people Good news, great joy, all the people. And there's just so much packed into just that one little phrase. And great, you know, good news, great joy, all the people, three things, preachers love, three things, you know. So anyways, we just like, we hunkered down on good news, on the good news last week. And today we're going to kind of finish up the good news and we're going to look at the great joy part and all the people part. But to do that, I got to read probably one of the most profound Man, what could I say about this passage? We we read it actually several times a year, not just at Christmas time, but it is one of the classic Christmas texts. And, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you know, Matthew, and Mark, not so much. Mark doesn't talk about baby Jesus in the manger, but Matthew and Luke, they talk about the the, the the baby Jesus story. But John, when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John takes a completely different approach at helping us see the meaning behind Christmas. And he doesn't give us any of the Christmas details. He gives us like the Christmas meaning. He gives us the meat. And this past, I don't think, I don't know if there's any, many other passages that are so deep and rich and profound as this. And I'm going to you what John has to say, an eyewitness, somebody who's right there in the middle of, of all of uh, of, all of it, here's what John has to say about what we can take away from Christmas, and it's so important for us. John, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, here it goes. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this isn't the same John that's writing. This is a different guy named John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. This is really, this is so interesting. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what's called the incarnation. Incarnate. Carne Carne is the word for for flesh, for meat. (laughs) Jesus came in meat. He came in the flesh for us. Tangible, so we could touch him, we could feel him, so we could be near him. And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received what? Grace upon grace, double grace, triple grace, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He's known. Um, We could go on. There's so many different things that we could look at. But here's one of the things that I find to be such good news about Christmas. And John says it right here, that Jesus came bringing two things and they're two things that we as human beings need so so much jesus came with grace and truth he came with both and both are incredibly important for us to understand the reality of our lives and the reality who of who god is and if you have all truth and no grace—you're just you're bogged down, you're pressed down. But if you have all grace and no truth, then it's not really grace, because the only way that you can kind of understand grace is if you acknowledge the truth. You can't have the grace without the truth part. Um, and so, you know, and in our lives, you know that you you get this. You have friends that you know that they're a real friend when they don't just tell you um, like the good things about you. But you know you have a really good friend when they tell you sometimes some hard things. They tell you the truth, right? That's how you know you have a good friend. Um, if you have a good friend that's always telling you that you're the bestest and you're the greatest, um, you know that you probably can't trust that person because you, you know that's not true about you. And so we, when you have a friend who's willing to tell you, encourage you, but also tell you the truth about your life, then that's a friend you hold on to. That's a really, really good friend. You, we've all had that friend that we're just, or, you know, we're just about to go out into public and it's like, hey, you got something in your teeth, bro. You got something. It's right here. And you're like, oh, thank you. Isn't it the worst when you go out and then somebody tells you hours later and you know that you've like talked to 20 people and it's, the, and it's the breakfast thing and you know that somebody should have said something but they didn't say anything and you're angry at those people, right? Because a true friend would say something. I was in Jerry's the other day, no joke. This, like, this, sometimes preachers make up, make up stories. This is not a made up story. I was in Jerry's and I was at the checkout line and it was just a, a, a young gal at the checkout line, and I'm there, and I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my, my favorite Jerry's pants, which are my Carhartt pants. Because when I wear my Carhartt pants, I just feel like a man, you know? <laughs> I just feel so good when I'm wearing my Carhartt pants. And I, whenever I'm going to the hardware store, I put on my Carhartt pants. And so I'm at Jerry's in my Carhartt pants, and I'm at the checkout line, and, and I go up there, and, you know, I'm starting to do the thing. And then she leans forward, and just, like, in the most discreet, like, kind, she's like, hey, you're um." You might want to your fly is down. You might want to check on that. And I look and it totally is. And I have this like crazy moment of on one hand I'm horrified, right? I'm absolutely horrified. And then on the other hand, I'm like filled with gratitude, right? I'm filled. I'm like ah, I'm horrified, but then I literally was like, "Thank you." high five, you know, and she's like, she high fived me, you know, and, uh, and I was like, oh man, th- you know, thanks for that tip, because I'd walk around the store, who knows how long, right, this has been going on, and, uh, and, and by the way, this is one of the good reasons to shop at Jerry's, people, all right, it's a good spot, I love Jerry's, you need somebody to tell you the truth, right, that's a good friend, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes we we don't like to hear the truth, and so we run from the truth. We have this weird love-hate relationship with truth because we want the truth to be told from us, but yet sometimes sometimes we don't like to hear bad news. We, we love it when our doctor tells us the truth. We hope that our preachers are telling us the truth. We hope our politicians are telling the truth. But where do you go to to get somebody to actually tell you the truth? Because can, can we trust, can, I mean, can you trust the media to tell us the truth? Can you trust politics to tell us the truth? And we're just so cynical about who's going to tell us the truth. And guys, what Christmas shows us is that when Jesus comes with grace and truth, the one person that you can trust fully to tell you the truth is the God who loves you and created you. Jesus is going to tell you the truth. And guys, that is such, such good news. And when Jesus comes and tells us the truth, it stings a little bit. It hurts a little bit because the truth that Jesus brings, before he brings the grace, the truth that Jesus brings is this, is that we are not good at being good that I can't save myself, that I need a savior, I need a rescuer, that no amount of performance and no amount of hard work, no amount of good deeds is gonna just be enough to to give me a new heart, that I need someone to come in and rescue me and that is hard for us to admit, it's really hard. But that's the truth that Jesus puts forth. He tells us that there's this thirst that we have in us that cannot be quenched by anything in this world. And when we try to quench that thirst with anything else in that world, whether it be success, whether it be money, whether it be power, whether it be like a, like a relationship of some kind, whenever we try to take this deep thirst that we have and when we try to quench it, instead of leaning in on the grace and the love and the joy and the peace that Jesus gives us, the identity that he gives us, when we try to quench that thirst with anything else, even if it's a good thing, that's what the Bible calls this hard word that we don't like to say that often in our culture but it's the word sin that's what sin is it's when we take this thirst and this hunger that we have and we try to satiate it by going to all these other places that will not satisfy and you just ask anybody you ask anybody who's like made it to the end of their life they've got tons of money they got tons of stuff on the outside it seems like that they have made it man I mean, they've got it all, and you just read anybody's biography who have gotten to that place, and they will tell you. It is no secret. They, are, they feel like it's never enough, that they need more, that they're, that, they're, that they're empty on the inside, and that the things that really matter to them are these, like, relationships, and it's their faith that they have, but all this other stuff it just never did it for them. And so Jesus wants us to skip all of that craziness, and he just wants to tell us from the beginning, listen, come to me. I'm the one that can save you. You can't save yourself. And that's such a gift. He tells us the truth. But unfortunately, we run from the truth. And um, so there's this really, really interesting book that came out, I don't know about, about 10 years ago, um, by a guy named Christian Smith. He's a sociologist at Notre Dame. And he, and he uh, interviewed tons of different people who, who, who say they're Christians in our culture, just thousands and thousands of people who, who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he sat down with them and he asked them, okay, what, is, like, what does being a Christian mean to you? Like, like what does what your faith come up with? And what he discovered is he, he inter- after interviewing all these people, he discovered that really the religion that many people have not just in the United States, but all over the world, is, is, is a kind of Christianity, but it's not, it's not real Christianity. And he called it this, and I put it on the screen. It's, he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And and he discovered that the five tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism um, go like this: is that number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on Earth. So that's the deism part. Sure, God exists, and He's kind of like out there somewhere. Uh, Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So what the goal is, God just wants us to be good. He wants us to be nice. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. That's the therapeutic part, that God's here to make me feel good about myself and give me strong self-esteem. Number four is God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And number five is good people go to heaven when they die. That the pathway to heaven, the way to get to heaven is you just got to be a good person. And these are the five tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, I got a quote from this gal, uh, Kenda Dean. She says this, Moralistic therapeutic deism has little to do with God or a sense of divine mission in the world. It offers comfort, it bolsters self-esteem, helps solve problems, and it lubricates interpersonal relationships by encouraging people to do good, feel good, and to keep God at arm's length. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one, the, the prevalent christian religion in our country it's moralistic therapeutic deism god's here to make me happy healthy and wealthy and when i need him i'll call but when i don't need him i'll i'm doing just fine thank you very much this is where a lot of christians live and i'm bringing it up today because christmas contradicts this religion at every point (laughs) because you know what christmas tells us christmas tells us that you can't save yourself No amount of good works is gonna do it. No amount of success is gonna do it. No amount of just trying harder is gonna do it. We couldn't do it ourselves. And so God had to come in the flesh. He had to come be our rescuer. That's hard for us to swallow, but Jesus comes with truth first. You can't save yourself. And then he comes with grace because Christmas says there is a king and it's not you. The king has come, the king has come. So we look to him. That's part of the good news. But here's the great joy part the great joy. Uh, The great joy part is that he gives us truth. That's good news. But then he also gives us this incredible grace. And this is the kind of grace that should cause an indestructible, great joy that flows deep, deep, deep in all of our hearts that our circumstances cannot steal away from us. When you know that the king of the cosmos loves you and has given you grace, it causes this joy. Deep down inside, and this is a joy that isn't dependent on how good of a day you've had or a good of week you've had or a good of year you've had. You might have had a really tough year. You might have a really hard things going on in life. But when you know, when you know that there is this God who loves you so much and that his love is so pervasive and that he came in the flesh for you that even death itself cannot take away your joy, suddenly you start to open up your eyes a bit, your chest starts opening up a bit and you can walk around feeling like man, I've got deep deep joy in the midst of our lives one of the things that I love about Christmas is the way that Jesus came um, he could have could have come a lot of different ways right he could have sent um, you know he could have sent like a big book from heaven he could have sent just some more prophets um, he could have like Done like a big like self projection, like a like like Luke Skywalker force projection. You know, he could have like done that in the sky. I don't know. He could have done all sorts of things. But the way that Jesus came um, is so helpful for us. I was doing some research this week on uh, on different kinds of communication that we have as human beings. Um, and there's there's like four different kinds that I wanna mention. First is there's, there's passive communication. Think about your interpersonal uh, relationships with one, with one another. Some of us are really passive. So one way to, to handle your communication is you just don't ask for anything you want. You just kind of stay quiet. That's passive communication. That's frustrating because you're probably like married to somebody who's like, tell me, you know, like tell me what you want, I can't read your mind. So passive communication is one way. And then you've got aggressive communication, right? This is the kind that's like always in your face. Somebody that's like really loud and just, you know, just, just there's aggressive communication. That's not good. We don't want passive. We don't want aggressive. The third kind is the kind that probably we're all most the bestest at. And it's passive aggressive communication. Anybody? Anybody really good at this? Um, I got to admit to you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this actually. I've worked really hard in my life. To, uh, to actually be quite good at passive-aggressive communication. I'm not proud to say it, but I just am. It's just weird how you guys know what passive-aggressive communication is, right? Classic example is like, you know, you can tell somebody's like, somebody's upset. You know, this is happens like one of my kids, right? They're like, Brr. I'm like, bro, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Come on, right? You'll be driving in the car with your spouse and, you know, or whoever, and you're like, hey, it seems like something's wrong. Are you okay? I'm fine right uh it doesn't seem like you're very fine like what let's talk about it no I'm fine right it's passive-aggressive communication. There's all sorts of ways. By the way, this is a freebie for you. Uh, as I was doing research, I came across tons of articles and just had, like, I had, like, a couple examples here of, like, some of these articles about how, how people who are passive-aggressive thrive really well on social media, all right? <laughs> social media is the perfect place for passive-aggressive people to just flourish and blossom. Uh, five ways that passive-aggressive people thrive online. There's another, there's another one that I read, um, how Facebook is a weapon for passive-aggressive Destruction. <laughs> and then I even found a website that had like some of the most passive-aggressive uh, Like posts on Facebook and there was tons of them and they were hilarious And I just want to share one with you because it's so great Check this one out Somebody posted this they said the, de- the definition of passive-aggressive is posting messages on Facebook about people You're upset with but not mentioning them by name a better solution is make a call talk it through hug it out move on life is too short and you know exactly who you both are. <laughs> oh man, it's so true. We're just so passive aggressive on Facebook. We do it with our kids too. I'm ashamed to admit this, but like sometimes we we are passive aggressive in Christy and my communication to each other to each other through our children. So I'll pick up Noel and I'll uh, I'll be like, Hi Noel, ooh, mommy's acting a little bit crazy right now, isn't she? Yeah. She is, right? And she does that to me all, you know, it's like, oh, why do we do this? Um, The best kind of communication is, you guys can guess it, right? There's the fourth one, and it's good. It's the good kind. Put it up there. The fourth kind of communication is assertive communication. That's the healthy way to go. Here's what I love about Christmas is Jesus didn't take the passive approach. Jesus didn't take the aggressive approach. He could have shown up with a big army. Hey, Follow me. I'm the king around here. Jesus didn't take the passive-aggressive approach. Like, if you ask for me, I'll come, okay, you know? You know what Jesus did? He he loved us enough to say, listen, I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I am going to come to you. I'm going to be assertive. And he didn't send a book, and he didn't send a prophet. He didn't send a projection of himself in the sky. He sent himself. Himself, that is good news that should cause great great joy Um, I have this up here because you guys know I love drawing pictures (laughs) and um, I just want to draw some pictures of why Christianity is absolutely different from every other world religion out there we can just we can just use uh, we can use Islam for example Islam, if this is the religion Islam and this is how you get to God or Allah or whatever you know, whatever it might be called, how, you know, how do you like join God? How do you get to God? How, do you, how are you able to become one with him and be like on his team, so to speak? Well, in, in Islam, it's, it's the five pillars of faith you got the five pillars, all right? You have to go to Mecca once in your lifetime. There's the daily prayers. There's, there's you know, the, the almsgiving. And there's five things. If you do those things, then you will be able to get to God. What if, what, if it's, what if it's Buddhism? What is it? And it's not, in Buddhism, it's not God. It's like, you know, nothingness, you know, or nirvana or whatever it is. Well, what is it? It's the, it's the eightfold path. It's the eightfold path. You know, right thinking, right motives, right effort. You know, all eight of them. If you do those things, oh, then, then you'll get, be able to get to God. What is it with, uh, with Hinduism? You guys know what it is with Hinduism? In Hinduism, it's, uh, well, it's reincarnation, right? It's, hey, if you do good in your past life, then you'll get to be able to come back in the next life. With, uh, you know, with some good, better karma and you'll live in a better place. And if you just keep that cycle up for like billions of years, suddenly, you know, eventually you will be able to get there. You'll achieve it, okay? Um, in in secularism what is it because it it wouldn't be God up here what it would be it would be like whatever it is that's going to give your life ultimate meaning maybe it's the money it's the paycheck or it's the job or it's the recognition or it's you know like somebody or it's like it's self-esteem or I don't know whatever it is whatever you put into that thing what do you got to do well you got to you got to work hard for it you got to I mean you no days off I mean you just got to blaze and go and try you got to get there as however you can what does Christianity look like this is what makes it so different than every other word religion. Because in Christianity the message is there are no steps that will get you there. When you follow Jesus, when you understand Christianity, God took a completely different approach. It's not us trying to perform our way to get to him. It's God saying, I am going to come to you. I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to wait for you to perform your way in. I'm coming to you guys this is good news that should cause great joy great joy the last one is this good news great joy for who for just the people who perform good for the people who are born to the right family it's good news of great joy for who all all people all people. Um, I, I love talking with people who are new to to the Bible and you know figuring out like how to read the Bible and you know it can be a it can be a daunting task. And sometimes when people try to read the Bible they start uh, they start and the obvious place you would start in a book, you start at the beginning. And so it's a lot of people start in Genesis. And Genesis starts out okay. You know, you're like, oh, this is interesting. And in a garden, there's a snake, and there's some betrayal there, so it's kind of interesting. And then there's some Jerry Springer moments in there, so like when you get into it, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't know this was in here. And then, do, do you guys know who Jerry Springer is, by the way? Okay. <laughs> so I, sometimes I'm like, I don't know, that might be an old reference, but I guess he's still around. Um, anyways. Uh, and then you can, you know, then Genesis, there's some great stories. And then Exodus, and there's some, it's like super interesting. And there's like some chases and, you know, people are, and then you get to like these books where there's just like long lists of names. <laughs> this person begat, this person begat, this person. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. And then it gets into like these rules. And if you're not sure, like, kind of like what those are all about, it's like, oh man. And so then you think, you know what? Um, uh," And so usually when I help people start the Bible, I don't necessarily tell them to start in Genesis. Sometimes I tell them to start in the New Testament. Hey, start in the New Testament. Okay, but here's the problem. They're like, okay, I'll start in the New Testament. So you go to the book of Matthew because it's the first book in the New Testament. And you open up the very first chapter in Matthew. You open up Matthew chapter one and guess what it is? This person begat, this person begat. It's a list of names. And you're like, whoa, come on. What's the deal with this Bible? Matthew starts out, it's so funny, in sh- telling us the Christmas story, Matthew starts out with this long list of names. And I didn't have it, in past years and past Christmases, we've actually read the whole thing. I'm not gonna read it, but look, here's, here's just a portion, and it keeps going, okay? I didn't even do all of it. There's just like all these names, and you're like, oh, I'm David, I recognize that guy. And uh, oh, I mean, I'm Judah, I, I, okay, that's, oh, Jacob, I kinda know who that is. But then there's like Re- 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 Rehoshabab, you know, you're like, what? What's the deal with these names? Well, guys, actually, this list of names is actually, it's telling the story, is telling us the story of Christianity without us even knowing it. What were these lists of names used for in Jesus' day? These lists of names were used for like, for pedigree, you know, for like, this was your resume. Because in those days when everything was driven sort of like by the family, whose name you were connected to gave you clout. It gave you, it gave you street cred. You know so in those days if you had like this long list of impressive names behind you that people recognize i mean then you got you got credibility it's not necessarily like that anymore anymore in our day but still we try to create our resumes don't we we have we try to create our resumes with our education with our job experience we're trying to build our resumes and we want our resumes to look good and back like that back then people wanted their resumes to look good they wanted to be filled with like some solid names right some like key people and just like in 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 those days, people would mess with their resumes. People would mess with their lineages. Like you know, like they get down, and then you're like Uncle Eddie. Hmm. I'm not going to list Uncle Eddie. I'm going to just, I'm not going to put that name in there. It's okay, nobody will miss it. And you just list like all the good names, keep some of the bad ones out. Um, We tend to do that too with our resumes. Don't, you know, I know it's true, right? Maybe you went to like college A and you went to college B and in college A you got better, much better grades than you got in college B. And so you know what? You just might not write down college B, right? You just might leave college B off of the, the form there. We all kind of do that because it's like, okay, it makes us look better, but not with Jesus' resume. Jesus wants us to see. He the the Matthew, who's making this list of names, wants us to see. Matthew is, is including all sorts of seedy situations from, from the Old Testament in this list of names why would you do that you're trying to like give credibility to jesus why would you put like all these different things and there's all sorts of things in here and we can't even don't have time to go to go through it all but it's like um you know there's there's first of all there's five women mentioned in the lineage in and in, in those days, that wasn't something that you put in there. And so they, Matthew is making it clear from the beginning that we're going to include some women in this, in this lineage. And so you have some gender outsiders. Gender outsiders of the time are on there. And then you've got people who are, uh, gen, and some of them are Gentile women. So you don't even have some Jewish people in there. You have some Gentile people. So you've got some, you've got some, uh, some racial outsiders in, in the list. And then you've got tons of moral outsiders You've got people people in here where there are failures. You've got some incest in there in that list. And that's never a good thing to have on your resume, let's be honest, right? That's something you leave off. Um, They've got, you know, a a prostitute listed in that resume. There's people, you know, and then let's not forget David, King David in there. This is supposed to be like the most legit king and... It's, and, and even like the, the list in there, it says that it was David and, and um, didn't, it doesn't even list Bathsheba's name. It says, I don't know, I don't even think I included it in there. I wasn't mentioning, I wasn't thinking I was going to talk about this. But it was like, it says something about, uh, oh, I love it. It's right in the middle. It says, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. <laughs> I mean, Matthew is going out of his way, like like really going out of his way to remind us about this incident that happened with David and Bathsheba and killing her husband so that he could be with her. I mean, this is like adultery. This is murder. I mean, this is all in Jesus's list of names. Why in the world is God wanting us to see this? I'll tell you why. It's because God is looking at this and he says, you know what? I can work with this. You know what? This doesn't intimidate me. You know what? There's a lot of shady stuff in here, but you know what? My grace is bigger than it. That's what God wants us to see. It wants us to see that Christianity, that Christmas is not for the good people. It's not for the people who can perform the best. It's not for the people who have come from the right families. And not for the people who have like the, the, the best, you know, church attendance or, or whatever it is, whatever metric we're using. He wants us to see that it is good news of great joy for all the people. And what? And so this is the pastoral moment here. And actually, I'm going to have Jenny come up because I'm going to kind of wrap this up because I just want us to respond today just as we enter into Christmas and it's going to kind of get crazy and Christmas Eve is going to be so fun guys but uh, you know it's going to be a lot of carol singing and you know some uh, celebrating it's going to feel a little bit more like kind of nostalgic than this morning so before we just dive into that whole whole thing which is so fun and good I just want us to take a moment and respond today and there might be some people who you just need to respond because you have felt that your past has disqualified you from God's grace That's what you've thought. You've thought that you do not live up to the standard, whatever that standard is that you thought. There's some of us that we just feel like that that if God really knew, I mean, if he really knew, and the preacher wouldn't be saying this if he knew what I did last week, if he knew what I did last year. I mean, come on, God, you, I mean, you, you can't possibly just like accept and wanna invite somebody like me to your table, do you? I mean, come on. And God wants us to see that Christmas is all about helping you see that it does not matter what you did last week, that his grace is bigger than it, his grace is stronger than it. Whatever your family history it is, whatever you've gotten yourself into in the past, listen, there's a new start today. There's a fresh start. His grace is new every morning. Remember what John said? That he didn't just come with truth and grace. He said that he came with grace upon grace grace upon grace came in the flesh so that you would know that he has not forgotten about you, that you are not counted out, that you are invited to the table, that you are loved. And if you let that, if you let that sink down into your heart this Christmas, Christmas won't just warm your heart, it will transform your heart. For some of you, for guys, for all of us, this is the thing that we need. This is the thing that we need the most. We need a God who's gonna come and tell us the truth about who we are. And and then on the very heels of that, we need a God who's gonna come and say, but let me cover you in my grace. That's a God that I can serve. That's a God that I can follow. You follow a God like that, it will transform your heart. Let it go deep. Let it go deep today. He's not intimidated by your past. He's not intimidated by your sin. He loves you, he loves you. He wants to give you grace through it. Would you receive his grace today? As we come to the table in a second, as we come to the bread and the cup, we just remember that we've been invited to the table. He died for us. And he rose again so that we could have new life and a joy, an indestructible joy that our circumstances can't take away. When we come to the table, would you just you set just your life on that?